Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Speak Out Loud podcast. Yes. We are so glad that you are here joining us again. And uh, I've hey, we've done enough now. I've almost lost track, Stace. I think we're on episode 11, maybe, with a bonus episode in there, too. So, so yeah, so we are moving along, and we yes. are excited. We're coming back tonight. We are picking up kind of where we all left off several weeks ago when we were talking about um, Stacy's journey, Stacy's battle with anorexia. So we want to jump back into that, and we really are envisioning this as actually a three-part series that we're doing. So tonight's the middle part. So we're picking up back with the story where we left off. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the last episode, we'd love for you to go back and listen to episode one of the Anorexia podcast, and then flow into here the second part of this, and uh, just run with this tonight. So I think that's what we're going to do, Stace. All right. Let's get started. Let's do it. So jumping back in and picking back up with the story, I would say where we wrapped up last time, um, you were talking about, we were talking about kind of some of the lower points where we uh, were having to make some major life changes. Um, I remember one of the comments I think we talked about was that despite some big changes, the illness went with you. Right. And that was something that we had to face, but... The changes we made to career, to just kind of a stepping back out of both of us, a a role role in kind of public ministry with through, through a church that we were part of, that it really also freed you up to fight the battle. That's right. And I think that was really important. So there was a stretch in time there, Stacy, where I would say um, probably the best way to describe the ongoing battle you were fighting with anorexia is treading water. Mm-hmm. But as I thought about that, I thought, you know, so often we think, well, treading water is just, it's not going anywhere. It's not swimming. But treading water is success when you're tossed into deep waters and you're trying to survive. Yeah. I remember, I think back to, I can't remember if it was some swim class I had or a camp I worked at and we had to do some lifeguard training, but we had to jump in and prove we could tread water for a certain length of time. That was just a, a skill we had to learn. So I don't think we should look at treading water as a negative. And I wouldn't want somebody listening today thinking that if you feel like, hey, you're just treading water in whatever you're going through, that somehow that's not that's not success. Right. Because here's success. Treading water is not drowning. Right. And, and anorexia was trying to drown you. It was trying to pull you under. Right. The thing about treading water, though, is it can only be done for so long. Yeah. And then you have to make the next move. And while you're treading, you need to be actively seeking what you're going to do in order to not stay in that position because it is absolutely exhausting and is not going to be life sustaining. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So after kind of a a set of time going back a few years now, um, Stacey, that that next step where you mm-hmm. kind of began to move forward really came as you entered and went into an inpatient program. For years, you had been doing some outpatient treatment. Um, and we're going to get into this in a minute, but your doctors, your team, your, your really your group that was supporting you came to you several years ago and said, hey, inpatient is probably the next step. Right, right. Before we kind of jump into that part of it, though, I want to acknowledge someone here, and that is in my situation, I just wanted to just really thank you, Doug, because so you were not in a popular 
position to be in, Doug. You were in a very difficult position. But what happened was, in your tough position, you still chose to get me help, realizing that you loved me more than you were worried about me approving of what was going on at the time. And fortunately, because of all the prayer that was going on around us and people being involved in just um, me seeing how sick I was getting to be, um, I started to cooperate. So at that point, really get on um, board with what was going on. But I do want to thank you because you had, in my, in my opinion, the hardest part because um, you got me there. And some people tiptoe around people who are sick because they don't want to get on their bad side. They want to still be trusted. But when somebody is in a situation where their their life could come to an end and it is absolutely preventable, you got to take that step and be that person in their life. Um, often when it's very uncomfortable, when it's very scary, um, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that you want that person to live no matter what it takes. And that's what happened with you and me. You were willing to get me help no matter what it took. And that's why I'm still here. Wow. Thank you. It was definitely a team effort. It was a team effort um, between you and I. I mean, getting you there was that first step. But also then there was, as we're going to get into months, literally months of hard work. So, Stace, what kind of looking back on that time, what led to this decision? What were the things you were experiencing, maybe both physical and mental, that those around you, your medical team, were all saying, okay, it's time. It's time yeah. to do this. Well, I'll never forget the day that I walked into. I had been without a nutritionist for about a year because of finances and insurance and everything. And it had just gotten really complicated. Um, I walked into my new nutritionist office and I had a heart monitor hooked to me. My shorts were falling down, my like Nike shorts, and because it was hanging on to um, my shorts. And I walked in and I sat down and my nutritionist, Christina Duty, just said, Stacy. I cannot help you until you are at a better weight, a better uh, mindset. Basically, the buck stops here until you go to inpatient treatment. So it really was something that kind of was an ultimatum mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. And she had talked with the rest of my team, my psychiatrist, my um, therapist, and they were all on the same page, which really, really helped. So if you're a professional listening to this, and you're um, working with a team of people, when you present to the patient and y'all are all on the same page and the same message is being said no matter what office the patient goes to, that is extremely helpful. Um, because I wanted to please, and part of the illness of anorexia is pleasing people, is I wanted to please all of the people on my team. And the best way for me to do it was for me to go away because they had reached a consensus of what was best for me and literally life-saving for me. I was, at that point, something that was really huge and different about me um, that had been happening for the past year before I went inpatient was that I was uh, really losing hope in my outpatient um, battle and fight and that wasn't because of my treatment team that was because I was feeling worse and worse physically it was harder for me to go to things it was harder for me to get out of bed my body hurt um, I had on one leg some bed sores from lying down so much I um I was losing hope and I was 
forgetting about the things that were important to me that up to that point had kept me here and helped help me fight at any level. Yeah. Um, it was all just kind of um, snowballing in yes. a lot of ways because the the losing hope, but then the lack of energy, the lack of nutrition, mm-hmm. it was diminishing your your both your mental and emotional kind of will and ability to think clearly and to fight the battle even. So it was, you had gotten to that place where you're on the negative spiral versus kind of that positive spiral moving up. You were, you were headed down for sure. Right. And I was looking at the people who I spent the most time with, um, my family, um, my closest friends, and I was seeing that they were scared. And then I was getting more and more scared. So what I was seeing was, is that people around me were also starting to grasp for what do we do? What do we do? Well, and I think back and we were actually, we told our daughters on, we were on a trip. Yes. And we kind of picked one of the last nights of the trip. We had just learned maybe a week or so before that this was in the plans. And um, we told them thinking, okay, we don't want to run the vacation. We don't want to freak them out. But really, they received it well. And I mm-hmm. think that they received it kind of with, okay, yeah, this something's got to happen. And they were thankful. They were thankful that, that this was the next step. Although it was hard because there was a lot of transition going on. We didn't plan for this. We didn't look three months out and say, okay, it's time. It was really, once it came time, it came together within a couple of weeks because yeah. we had we had literally bought a home. We were we were planning to move. We had a daughter that was about to begin college and move away from home for the first time. So all this was happening at the same time. Okay, it's time to go to treatment. But when we all realized it was the right thing and you were on board and you knew it had to happen. We just made it work. Right. There's no, like, convenient time where you're just going, you know what, everything, for us, things were falling together as well as they possibly could with there being kids involved. Yeah. Um, And it was just what we needed to do. I saw when we told the girls that I was going to need to go away to treatment at the time, they said for six weeks, I saw through tears and I saw through uh, eye contact, though, Relief. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Relief is really good. Well, and and yeah, it was, though it was a crazy time, it all fell together. And we, we look back and I truly believe it was also God's timing. It was God's timing. Um, but you had to say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, was, it wasn't something you were being forced into by a right. court or something. I right. mean, you had to be a willing participant and you had to say yes. You had to make that choice to to, to have the courage to change your life, and you did. So. I just really was exhausted. Yeah. And the things that I was trying were not working. A matter of fact, I was not even doing much um, in the way of having any liquid fluids in me or anything at that point. And so I just kind of surrendered and just agreed to just yeah. say, okay, I'm submitting I'm, I'm surrendering to the fact that there are people in my life who have got my best interest at heart, and the best thing I can do is cooperate. Wow. One of the hardest things to do in any area of life, whether it's in, in a battle with an illness, um, an addiction, in our spiritual lives, is to surrender. But it's almost at every point, that's where change really begins to happen. Right. Is when we let go and, and we begin to let... What we can't do, we begin to let God 
and in this case, God using medical professionals to really change your life. Mm-hmm. Well, Stace, what were some looking at that 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 time, and mm-hmm. it ended up being for about four months. But what were some of the key things? If you look back, so okay, that was a key part of treatment. That is something that just really sticks out, mm-hmm. and even to this day, has a lasting impact in your life. Right. Well, the first thing was. Um, us not just talking about me going, but me getting there. And um, we got in the car, I'll never forget, um, the girls were taken care of, and we got in the car, and I cried all the way to Tulsa. It was a very quiet trip. Doug and I usually have loud 100-mile drive, if you don't know kind of the the, the geography of this area, 100-mile drive. Yes, and I literally sobbed the whole way. Not as much because I thought I was going to die, but because I was just scared of what I was going to um, experience. And I was terrified of gaining any nutrition. And of course, that's what I was going to do. And so it was kind of like, for me, the ultimate betrayal of the eating eating disorder, the thing that I was selling out to, and here I was going to do the opposite of what my mind was screaming and continues to scream to this day. I think for the whole hundred miles, I just kept my eyes looking forward and you didn't did. look. I was like, just just keep focus. Got to get there. Yeah. Don't don't look over. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we we made it. So yeah. When we pulled into the tiny parking lot there at Laureate um, Eating Disorder Treatment Center um, Hospital, I can remember, and so many people have heard this, but it's just the truth. I would lock the door. Doug would unlock the door. I would lock the door. Doug would unlock the door. And we did this little skit going back and forth for not long but it seemed like forever because I was determined to at that point to stay in the car as long as possible and Doug was like if I don't get her out of the car I'm not going to be able to do this yeah so (laughs) it was yeah if only there had been a video camera in that moment Mm -hmm. you know uh capturing our lives that'd be probably one of those humorous stories as difficult as it was, looking back, I think we'd probably laugh at it. So yeah. absolutely, it is. It is comical now, but in the moment, I literally felt like I was. It wasn't funny out. in the moment. No, yeah. no, it was not. So this lady showed up at our door, and she said, "Are you Stacy Getzinger?" And I said, "Yes, yes, I am." And she said, "I have been waiting for you," and I'll never forget how important it was for to be greeted. And, you know, in anything that we're doing in life, the greeting, the first impression can be so, so important. And that's exactly what I needed in that moment. And for those of you who don't know me personally, I um, had packed a little bag and I'm an overpacker. I will pack for every season and we'll be gone for two days. And um, (laughs) so I had this tiny little bag that looked the size of a deflated balloon. And I had put enough clothes in there because to stay for like one or two days because I was determined that when I got there, they were going to say, Stacy, you do not belong here. You are not sick enough. And when I got inside and I got into the evaluation, they told me I was exactly where I needed to be. And in just the nick of time. So um, that with the evaluation, we found out that um, that I would need to probably be there longer than the six week stay. But there were no specifics at the time. And I'm glad because I might not have gone through with it had I known everything. We tell them. I mean, we see them frequently now. And and I don't mind joking with them as like you told us six weeks. (laughs) 
but you yeah. knew it'd be longer. And mm-hmm. and we've had a few of them admit, yeah, we knew it'd be longer. But right. but they got us there, and they got mm-hmm. you there. And and yeah, it, it, going in six weeks seemed like forever. Yeah. But the longer it went, you I didn't grow weary. It was wearisome. But you were gaining strength and gaining momentum instead of losing momentum. And so if they would come back and suggest, hey, Stacy, we think a couple more weeks is going to really help you, you got to a place where you you were you were willing. You were ready. So, okay, let's do it. I've, I've come this far. Let's don't turn back. Right. I guess one of the biggest things when I first got there was is that the conversation was instantly right when I started um, my work there. And getting the help there was um, instantly that they talked more about living and not about dying. And I honestly had only thought about dying because I was so afraid of living. So see, that was flipped for me. And I didn't know what I thought about that for the first little while. I remember when I first got there, I couldn't keep anything on, on my stomach because I hadn't been eating. And so um, they considered, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to, you know, have a feeding tube? Kind of what's our approach going to be? Because I couldn't keep anything down. And I just said to them, um, can you just give me a couple more days of trying to eat? Because I'm not resisting you. Not everybody who gets a feeding tube is resisting at all. It just depends on your level of what you need. And um, they gave me a couple more days. And slowly my body started to keep more and more of the nutrition in and I was so, so thankful. I was scared, but thankful at the same time. And to me, those two really learned to coexist. The doctors and the staff there saw that I was not resisting. They saw that I wanted to want to live. And they began to really help me in that direction. Um, They were kind, but forceful because they knew they weren't fighting me as a person, they were fighting the eating disorder, and there were no negotiations with that. I do want to stress that where I went, there was not like force feeding, nothing like that. Everything, I could have gotten up and walked out at any time. But I also felt like, you know what, I have a family waiting for me, and it has been through so much that the least I can do is honor them and stay here and try. Just one meal at a time, just try. My peers that were with me um, saw me cry over probably 350, 400 meals, and that is not an over-exaggeration. But the cool thing is, is with that, I never felt alone. Um, That was just huge to me to not feel alone and to feel like I got cheerleaders instead of people who were judging me because we were all in the same boat. Yeah. Well, and, and you, it was a really intense blend of, of medical treatment. Yeah. So you're working with doctors of therapy. So you're working with therapists mm-hmm. that are pushing you and, and helping you grow and really helping you build and, and cut new pathways of, of, of thinking and acting in, in your brain. And then also, um, you know, nutrition. And so, you know, sun up to sun down. You know, the moment yep. you got up to the moment you went to bed, it was an intense program. Mm-hmm. It was very focused and and with with professionals that really knew how to get you from where you entered to a level of health where you could leave. So, mm-hmm. you know, Stacy, I, I think it's probably hard to really describe this, mm-hmm. but 
How hard was it? Everything in me, except for my desire to please God and to not leave a legacy of death for my girls and live, leave you without a spouse, was telling me that I was doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. It was just screaming. And that was the eating disorder that's screaming. That's the eating yeah. disorder, the depression. It's almost like when you um, are cut, hurt, and somebody offers you a cool salve to put on the cuts, the hurts. Um, the hurt's still there, but the salve begins the healing. If anything else were to touch it, though, other than that cooling salve, you would probably come unglued. And yeah. that's how I felt. Matter of fact, when I got there and I started in the program, I was so sick still that I started to cut really bad again. And that had not been as prevalent. It was still pretty much there, but it really came back in full force. Um, I wanted to still numb out. I still wanted to hurt myself so much. Um, When the eating disorder started to subside just a touch, then something else would come in. And all I can say about that is, is that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he knew that I was there to get better, so he did pull out all of the stoppers to make sure that that wouldn't happen. But the thing that is so cool about that is the scripture that says, greater is he that is in in me than he that is in the world. And and I just had to hold on to that Mm -hmm. so tightly and just go, you know what? The God that got me here is stronger, and he's already won the battle. I just need to cooperate as I fight. And so I was missing my girls and Doug so, so much. And my anxiety was bad. It made me really suffer and struggle around every meal, um, which didn't help me get it in, get my food in. But I had enough nutrition to gain that my tray of food, just like you would get in elementary school, your tray, would be full of food. And it was because that's what my body needed in order. My metabolism was so high that it was fighting against me. So I needed to eat that whole tray of food per meal in order to start to gain weight, which was very hard for my body to get used to, thus the longer and longer stay. My body and my organs, however, did begin to change in about the third month. And so we were celebrating, but cautiously. Um, Still to this day, I take 12 medications in one day. And that's a step down from what I was taking when I was in the hospital. But I also was realizing that my appearance was changing. That was super hard. Because not only is eating disorder and anorexia, bulimia, It's not just as simple as being vain and wanting to gain or lose weight, but it is a sickness. And so when I started to look at myself in the mirror and see that dysmorphia, that body dysmorphia that comes with eating disorders to where I never see reality, I would look in the mirror, the very few mirrors that we had there because they didn't want us to focus on that, and rightly so, I would look in the mirror and I would just be devastated. Now, somebody else could walk up to me and go, I really can't tell much of a difference. But in my mind, in my eyes, that's what I saw. And something that I never talked about, I've never, never mentioned this before, but where it really hit rock bottom for me one night, and that's this had to happen. 
in order for me to be able to start the upward climb was I was going to take a shower and I got in the shower and I looked down and I saw my legs and my legs, it was like overnight, they looked different. And I looked down and I could hear my roommate out in the, in our room and I just was bawling my eyes out. And I said, Aaron said, Stacy, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm not okay. This is not okay. And she said, um, I will get a nurse. And she went and got the nurse. And um, the nurse just sat at the door while I continued to shower to make sure I was safe. And I just started, stopped crying. And I just said, okay. I said it out loud. I said, these are my new legs. These are my new legs. And this is what my new legs are going to help me to do. My new legs are going to help me walk. My new legs are going to help me be able to um, someday walk um, with my grandchildren. This this will help me someday walk um, with my husband as we want to um, go on adventures. These legs are what they have to be like and look like in order for me to be able to eventually go home. And so I just had to do that with each part of my body as I began to gain nutrition go, this is my new arm. One arm at a time, this is what it looks like. And this is why it needs to look like this. And it's going to be okay. And it's like God would just usher in his peace. Do I still get scared? Absolutely. But I had to hit that rock bottom moment in order to be able to go, you know what? If I have to do this every day, it's not about only what I look like by any means, but I'm here. And not only am I going to be here, but I'm going to thrive so that that way our girls know more about thriving than just surviving. And that became my mantra. Well, and this, that's incredible, Stacy. I mean, that's, I haven't heard some of you share that, some of that being shared before. And that. Aaron, my roommate, is so remembers. Powerful. <laughs> that is so powerful. Um, definitely shout out to Aaron. Yes. And, uh, and I know she was a great friend, is a great friend. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of so a continuation almost of what you were just sharing. So how would you, looking back and kind of coming through that gauntlet, Mm -hmm. how would you say it saved your life, Mm -hmm. has changed your life? Kind of now on the other side of it, and you can can look back at it. Mm -hmm. Well, I went from very little independence um, and needing to be very dependent to being able to feel a little bit more alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was almost happening daily. I would wake up every day, it seemed like, there towards the end and just go, wow, I'm thinking better. I'm thinking more clearly. And at the beginning, when you go into a mental hospital, you are very, you're anything but independent. Mm-hmm. Um, they start you with for your own safety. For your own safety. Yeah. I had every reason to be watched all the time because when my eating disorder wasn't trying to be mischievous, my cutting was, when my cutting wasn't, then the suicidal thoughts were so you're in a mental it's a mental illness and you're in a mental hospital for a reason and it's for safety not not for any other reason than for safety and um so that you are understood at that extreme level of where you are um well over time i did gain enough nutrition to go home and to try to sustain my hard work and um to try to sustain my health And I was so scared when I was to the part of the program where they were starting to to prepare me to go home. 
And uh, I can remember one of my biggest fears is what are people going to say to me when they mean well, but they don't know what to say so it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. That was one of my hardest things because, you know, we had lost our son. People fall all over their words when they don't know what to say. We have fallen all over our words when we have wanted to console somebody and be there for somebody. So we knew what that was like, but I was scared of what people were going to say. Some people go, see, Stacy, there's that vanity in there. Well, what had happened was I had gone in and gained about 25 to 30 nutritions is what I call it. I hate the word pounds um, and scale and all that kind of stuff because it's, it's hurt me for so, so long. But um, I had literally gone from looking like a little girl to a woman in a matter of four months. And when people notice something like that, they can't help but say something. So I was scared of what people were going to say even more than what I felt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we found over and over again were people were just coming up and hugging me and loving on me and saying, I'm so glad you're alive. Thank you for fighting How are your girls? Are they so excited that their mom is going to be okay? One of the biggest things that we realized, though, when we got home was my fight was uh, well underway, but that it was going to need to even ramp up even more because I wasn't going to be inpatient, but rather outpatient. And that was a whole different story, Um, a great story that we'll share eventually, but a different story that we did not know was coming But you wouldn't know until you're living it. It wasn't they were keeping anything from us. It's just, it just unfolds kind of like you undo a package Mm -hmm. is the way I like to look at it. Um, I have more energy than I've had. Um, My mind can still really hurt as I've shared over the course of many of the podcasts and in my book. And when I speak, my mind can still really hurt. But now I'm not so numbed out and I can be um, present, not just in body, but also in mind. So um, God showed me um, one bite at a time that he wasn't going anywhere is probably my biggest takeaway. Um, When everybody else, even since I've been home, is exhausted from eating with me which they have been troopers and they continue to be. I don't I, I don't know that I could do what people in my life that God has put in my life could do. What um, I don't know if I could do what they've done. And I am literally the most blessed person. But when it's all said and done, it's just God and I sitting at the table, on the sofa, in the car as I'm traveling, whatever. And he is saying, Stacy, I'm not going anywhere. And we're going to take this one bite at a time. And um, that's how I get through my meals. That's how I get through my snacks. And on the days that I don't, his mercies are new every morning. And we've got to get up and i got to try again. Yeah. One of the things that I know was so impactful for for me and, and really for us mm-hmm. and a huge takeaway for me, not only just in watching you um, transform mm-hmm. through this process, but but was Laureate did an excellent family week every month that you were there. Right. And I was able to participate in several of those and, and go several times. But one of the one of the most impactful kind of lessons or you know 
helping me understand what was going on was an illustration that the head doctor of the program would do each 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 time during family week. And it's it's harder to describe it than it is to actually watch it, but just in simple trying to, to paint a picture of what it looked like, he had several of the ladies come up and who were in the program and he was doing a demonstration essentially on the neuroscience and what's going on in the brain of someone struggling with an eating disorder um, compared to maybe someone in their brain who doesn't struggle with an eating disorder. And I remember that uh, he gave, there's like six or seven women, he gave them each a sign and to hold up, which had a thought or a thought process on the sign. It was, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, written out, not real in depth. Of course, he was using all the, the kind of technical uh, biological terms, mm-hmm. um, but in just very layman's terms, he then gave a piece of fruit and had each person pass that piece of fruit down. And as each person passed it to the other person, they held up and read from their sign, essentially what is the neuroscience or what's the, the brain chemistry that's going on in this process of hunger and eating and then wrapping up a meal, essentially. And so he first went through and had everyone kind of read out loud what was going on for someone that typically is their thinking and the brain process if they don't struggle with an eating disorder. So I was obviously able to connect with that because that I'm kind of putting, okay, yeah, that's what's going on in my head. I don't maybe not stop and think about it, but yes, I understand that. And then they went back and started over and they had each of the women read kind of the flip side of the card and go back through and they had at each stage, each woman read what was going on in the brain, in the brain chemistry, the thought process for someone that struggled with an eating disorder, that battled the illness and how drastically different it was. And then maybe the most powerful moment of all is he had each of the women read theirs out loud at the same time. So if you can imagine, this was kind of a chaotic noise and a a variety of messages, and they were saying it loud. And he just stopped, and he looked at all of us in the audience as family members, and he said, and that's what's going on in the brain of your loved one every time they sit down and eat a meal. Mm -hmm. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It just kind of washed over me. At that time, we'd been married close to 20, maybe 20. We'd been married 20 years and I'm thinking, how many thousands of meals, Stacy, have you and I set across a table from one another and something exactly opposite is going on as we eat that meal in your brain and in my brain? Yeah. And it really, I think, gave me a deeper sense of compassion, a greater sense of understanding. And maybe that, of all the takeaways for me, that was maybe one of the most significant takeaways uh, of for me as a family member, just to have a deeper understanding and to be able to, certainly I can't feel and sense and, and hear those thoughts in my brain like you hear them, mm-hmm. but I can at least empathize better. And for those listening that are family members out there today, if, if, if there's anything to help you begin to empathize and understand better, it's not a matter of just trying harder or just, you know, I've heard people say, well, just sit down and eat. Well, that's their brain and what's going on in their brain. And, and, you know, we interpret the world and we assume, I know I do this all the time, everybody sees the world and thinks like I do. Mm-hmm. But that's not reality. And so if I can begin to get, kind of step back and begin to see the world and even to, if not think, begin to understand how somebody else is seeing something and mm-hmm. experiencing something, it, it, it helps me have greater 
compassion, understanding, and, and be a better support to you. Right, and, and the coolest thing about that, too, is is that I've known that people don't have going on in their brain what I do when I'm eating a meal, a snack, yeah. drinking a Coke, having an ice cream. So that's very lonely. And when I looked out into the audience as a patient who was part of the example up on the stage, and I looked out there and I saw you starting to cry and have tears and everything, I thought to myself, I'm sorry that this is hurting him or upsetting to him, but this is the most connective, connected I've ever felt to my husband because he gets it. Yeah. And that was just God uh, helping you to be able to get on my level, not a lower level, not a higher level, but on the same level as what my mind is saying, if even for a few minutes, mm-hmm. to be able to go, I get it, Stacy, And you've never, I don't feel like digressed from that from in the last years that we that I've been home from treatment. And that's been a huge gift to our marriage because meals are enjoyed and food is celebrated, but it is one of the loneliest times of my entire day. So yeah. that was definitely a God moment. It's given me a greater capacity, I think, to help you. And again, I'm not your food police. And, nope. and we know for us that that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it it has given me, I, I can I can step back Hopefully, I'm not perfect at this by any means, but I can step back and and have a greater understanding, and also hopefully be of greater support to you in those moments, especially when you're when you're struggling. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that was really amazing, just one of those gifts of an experience that you got to have several years later after treatment, a full circle moment, mm-hmm. is you were invited back, right, and had the privilege of speaking to the team. That literally saved your life. Right. All the doctors that weren't my doctors, plus my doctors, the nurses, the techs, the chefs, everything were um, there for this monthly meeting and I got to go back. And how many times in our lives do we have this incredible experience and never again get to experience life in the same room with those people again? And that's why I look forward to heaven. That's what it's going to be. And um, I got to go back and say thank you. And in my mind, there was no hierarchy of who did what. It was just all of them working together like parts of the body just to say, this is my part and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability to help you get one step further, one bite further along. And when I first got up to the podium to look out at everybody, this is amazing. God, thank you for letting me do this because these people I not only love, but I I um, hold to a high esteem no matter what their role was and is. And they continue to be difference makers there. But I've just been thankful for that. And the hugs that I got to give after speaking that time, so many times when I speak, I don't know the people and those people I lived with for four months, and I got to hug on them and love on them, and there were tears shed, and there was everybody was cracking up at the same time, and it was just such a pure blessing that Beth Persack gave me, um, inviting me back. So thank you, Beth. Well, and again, I'm I know biased at times, but it was by far one of your best speeches ever. <laughs> it was just it, it was you. it was a perfect combination of heartfelt, genuine, 
and you were able to put words, and I know it was an inspiration to those. Because it's also a lonely job to, mm-hmm. to treat those that suffer. There are a lot it's a of difficult people job. who walk out of a treatment center very sick. Yeah. And so when people walk out and they have got a chance at life, it's a success. Well, Stacey, your story of treatment, of recovery, of walking this journey, of walking this road, this is a hope-filled story. And we talk about um, being hope givers, Mm -hmm. and and those that were there at the treatment facility were hope givers to us. Mm -hmm. Our desire through the Speak Out Loud podcast is that we can be hope givers to those that that listen, mm-hmm. if you're a regular listener or if you've just stumbled across the podcast today, yeah. our heart's desire is that we can be a hope giver in somebody else's life as they as we've had people in our lives be hope givers to us. So as we wrap up kind of part two and next week we're gonna we're gonna finish up with part three of, of this story of the battle against anorexia and that story in your life stays. But what is something you would say Okay, this is this is hope. Mm-hmm. This gives me hope. This is some hope I'd like to share. What is that? Right. Well, getting to be a part of the amazing family I get to be a part of that God has put me in where y'all don't give up on me. That's hope right there. Um, the girls, our girls just being so glad when they see me waiting on the front steps as they drive in from Dallas and knowing that I'm going to run down the stairs and greet them is not something that any of us take for granted. Recently, I got the privilege of speaking as a breakout speaker at the Women's State Retreat for the state of Oklahoma, and I got to share on um, the gift of life, and it was my joy to get to do that. One of the main speakers there was a lady by the name of Catherine Wolf, and she is a lady who had a stroke in her 20s, and it um, just about took her life, literally just about took her life, and it has forever changed her life, and um, she is just amazing, and I got to work in the green room there and help behind the scenes some with the speakers and just kind of make sure they were ready to go out on stage when I when I was there, and um Something I wanted to share with you is her book is called Hope Heals, and it's written by her and her husband about their experience and um, and the experience now of their two sons. And um, her thought is my thought. We all suffer. It's what we do with the suffering. I've never felt like I've gone, why me? I've said, why not me? But God, how how are you going to use this? And how can I say yes to you instead of always saying, no, I'm scared? And so she and I talked in the green room for a little bit, and we talked about the thought of suffering. And it was just a precious few moments that we had together. But something that she shared uh, when she got on stage was Colossians 3, 1 through 2. And it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And to me... That's where I get hope, because if I focus on what I've got to do tomorrow in order to stay in recovery, I'm already beat before I even get up. And so um, no matter how bad things get, Catherine and I agreed, and she said this outright, joy is the secret in the momentary mess. We have the assurance of what is to come, and I'm made to be equipped for today. 
And if those aren't life-giving words from Catherine Wolfe, again, Hope Heals, one of my biggest um, spiritual heroes, then I don't know what is. So um, get that That's book. That's Get that yeah. book and just know that, that those are my thoughts and feelings that we're in agreement with that. And the scripture, Colossians 3, 1 through 2. All right. Well, we thank you guys for joining us today. Hey, we're going to be back. I think mm-hmm. if, if you were saw from last week, we uh, snuck in a small bonus episode, which where we just tackled uh, one question, which was some content we had had and, and had not used previously. Um, I think we're going to have another mm-hmm. bonus episode. We try so. to sneak in uh, over the next week or so before our final episode on this journey of anorexia comes out. So I'll be looking for that. It'll probably be again, maybe eight to 10 minutes long. And then here in a week or two, we'll come back out with our third and final kind of the wrapping up, bringing the story to the present for you, Stacy, and mm-hmm. where we are in the battle of a lifetime, your battle with anorexia. And right. thank you for sharing your hope, your journey, mm-hmm. your your recovery, and the courage to, to walk through that. And we're blessed. I'm blessed, and I know our listeners are blessed by that. And um, we are so thankful. Thank you. So until next time, we look forward to talking to you again soon. God bless you guys.